Welcome to the Independent Scholars Community Podcast, a podcast that helps you get to know us better and meet some great indie scholars. My name is Natalia. I'm going to be moderating this podcast. And our guests today are Dr. Simon Rosenberg and Marie Leger-Saint-Jean. Let me introduce you our guest. Dr. Simon Rosenberg is an independent scholar, German and cultural integration teacher for refugees, and a freelance proofreader and translator with more than 12 years of academic teaching and research experience. His research interests are, among other things, book prizes, book value categories that may be even featured in a published book, and also the intricate technological changes uh, in the English book production. Marie-Lejean Saint-Jean is a digital humanist, a translator and editor, an academic researcher who focuses on the 19th century transnational transmedia mass culture, sounds fantastic, and she uses old-fashioned bibliography with added digital spice to research these topics. Dear listeners, we will include all the links to websites and publications of our guests in the description of this episode. Make sure to go and check them out. We are here today in the very first episode of our podcast to basically discuss what is the independent scholar community and how did this idea come to you guys in general? So we met at Sharp in Focus. We are both book historians. So Sharp is the Society for the History of Authorship, Reading and Publishing. So it's the International Learned Society for Book History, and we were having our online conference because 2020. And I can't remember which panel it was, uh, Simon, but did I comment first? I did hear you speak about being an independent scholar, and then I noticed, yeah, actually that's what I'm too. Not really being aware that there's a difference because my life changed a little bit during this year and then I also used the phrase independent scholar in some context you were there and then you wrote to me if uh, I'd be interested in doing something that's basically how it started I, I mimic your uh, phrasing of independent scholar and then you wrote let's do something together then you owe me <laughs> yeah so I found Simon on Twitter I asked if we wanted to build a community together and you sounded pretty enthusiastic. So we set up a Zoom meeting like two weeks mm -hmm. later, I believe. And you told me your story of how you were becoming an independent scholar. Mm -hmm. I have been proudly so since uh, 2014, 2015. So it's been more of a while for me. And I have seen how much hope it can give people when I tell them I never finished my PhD. Mm -hmm. I'm still here coming to conferences because that's the bit I like and people are welcoming me. Also, I should point out, I got a research grant at the end of June, which really made me feel part of the research community. So I felt like giving back to the community and the role I could really see for myself was shepherding people towards independent scholarship mm -hmm. because I have friends who are stuck in that period between contracts where you're looking for your next postdoc, you're looking for your next teaching gig, and they are so filled with despair as though their life will be completely blank if they don't find another job, I think that is so sad to see because these are people 
who have so much to offer and their confidence levels are so low. And so that's the way I was thinking about having some sort of community was really to give a space for these people who are stuck in between to see actually no, like there is something out there if you do not get the academic job you were hoping for. So that was a very quick progression into actually putting this to action. I assume that both of you then probably had some sort of idea of this community or at least of talking about that maybe before even that conversation happened, because this is one of those great examples that a lot of people struggle with, you know, procrastination before studying something so great. And you just jump straight in. And I'm very happy to be part of this community today. We um, should point out in terms of timeline, the sharpened focus was in June And our first meeting was in July, the first meeting between Simon and I, and the first meeting of the first people who founded the group was also in July. So yeah, it did go pretty quickly. Yeah. And the way I found to combat that procrastination is to collaborate, to work with other people, because mm -hmm. you feed off each other's energies. Mm -hmm. And when you're feeling slightly lower, the other person might have more energy and is going to pick up the ball and mm -hmm. keep it rolling. Cheers to collaborative projects, and I'm very glad I'm also part of that. This community, there are multiple people who started it. Basically, you have a sort of team and an official team of founders, I guess. Uh, when you first started, was there any sort of hierarchy is not the right word, I guess, but sort of like division who was more interested in what for this community? Did you have anything like that? Not that I know of. I think people saw uh, Marie and myself as the, the founders, more or less, but pretty early on we had, uh, I mean, we had the very first uh, Zoom meeting, just the two of us, I'm pretty sure we talked about this. And then you just said, should we, is, is there a chance to do something? And we didn't know what it was, just the idea of maybe having a sort of community, whatever that means in a digital world. But a few weeks later, maybe two weeks, weeks later, we had a Zoom meeting with, I don't know, six people, seven people. So that was the second meeting. We already were more people and we already had so many different ideas and we were talking about general things. So it never, I never had the, the idea that uh, I, I was the boss or Marie was the boss. It was just like we were just the people who, who asked other people. And then we got together and some people stayed and some people, I think, uh, even uh, were lucky and they have a job now in, in academia. So they are no longer... I mean, they're still welcome, obviously, but they're no longer independent scholars per se. I think that's that's how I feel about that. Yeah, it was pretty organic. The way I remember it is we were wondering, like, do you know any other independent scholars, people we could yeah. bring to a meeting? Um, and that's how we had that second meeting with six or seven people. Yeah. Um, and one person had a job. And so she was keen on letting us know that I, I can be someone in the inside who can yeah. see what we can give to you guys. Um, we had a very experienced independent scholar who doesn't mm -hmm. have a lot of time, who has less of a need of a community than we had, mm -hmm. but she's there to help out if we ever have specific questions. So there's people with varying needs. And there's now a core group that seems like we really need it more or it, it fits more with the way we function digitally. I don't know. But yeah, there's a core group of three, four people. Also, speaking of, uh, Simon, something you've mentioned generally, uh, what is an independent scholar? Maybe for our listeners who just stumbled upon our amazing podcast, we could 
try to narrow down what is an independent scholar? I think that was a point we were discussing quite a lot. What what actually is what 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 we are looking for? How we identify? Uh, and I think everybody has one specific definition for him or herself. I considered myself um, for over twelve years. I worked in, in academia. I was affiliated with the University of Münster in Germany, and that, I mean, it, it sounds so dramatic when I say it broke away, but my contract ended. In March, so beginning April, I started noticing what's gone all of a sudden, and that's not only the money because academia paid me uh, for over twelve years, uh, and then that money at some point stopped. That's one thing, obviously. So whatever you do for a living, it's not in academia. So, but you still want to do academic work. You're not being paid for it. So that is one part of it. But it also means you're not affiliated with the university or with the library, with some sort of research institution. That means that you have several disadvantages, maybe. There are also advantages, but definitely you don't have access to databases necessarily. It's, it's trickier or it's expensive to get that. You don't have access to corporate design, PowerPoint slides. Uh, there's uh, email accounts. There's so many little things you take for granted when you work in academia that you have to think about. Even just having a cloud system to have uh, the possibility to uh, have access to files from everywhere, that is something I took for granted. All of a sudden, I have to think of solutions and compare different uh, options. So there are lots of things to, to consider. So basically, for me, it means I'm uh, whatever I'm working to make money, it's not within academia. When I do something, when I do research, when I do presentations, when I'm writing something, nobody pays me to do it. That is what I want to offer. I think I have a voice, I have an opinion that maybe is interesting for the world, in my case of book studies, but I'm doing it uh, on my free time. That's how I would in a nutshell, describe uh, being an independent scholar? Uh, I pretty much fit into Simon's definition, though I was never employed, apart from the PhD scholarship I got. I was never employed after my studies to do research. I now have a research grant, which really changed it all for me, not only in positive ways, insofar as since I had settled into that world in which research is what you do for fun, and if it's not fun, you shouldn't be doing it because you're not being paid to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, that whole calculation changes all of a sudden. But in the group, there's also someone who considers herself an orphan librarian. And so she studied to be a librarian and is currently looking for work. And so I really like the definition that Simon wrote for the website, which is basically, are you doing scholarly things outside of an academic setting? So if you want to have that sort of scholarly community and you don't get it from your work, well, here we are. Sounds great. Like for me, that actually sounds like a very clear definition and helps me also to see for myself as a uh, freelance person at the moment with some research going on, what actually am I gaining and giving to the community by being part of it? Speaking of community, so um, whatever is a digital community, as Simon just said, whatever entity that is at the moment, mm -hmm. we have a number of people now joining our community. Uh, how do you see the future development of the whole community? Like your dreams, what would you like it evolved to? Oh, also topic of uh, lots of discussions, whether we should strive for having a huge community, whether we should uh, be aggressive about it and advertise our community. 
And if your goal is to have a lot of people within the community, uh, we would have been frustrated because people were curious. A lot of people came in and checked, and but some people just never came back for, for whatever reason. But at some point, we noticed that uh, whatever we think we should get out of that community, I was happy with a lot of things that uh, the community gave me already in terms of uh, advice for job interviews, applications, or tax situations, being a freelance worker. So that already works no matter how many people are in the community. And I would say there are about five to 10 people, I would guess for five to 10 people who are more or less active. For weeks, there may be nothing. Sometimes there's more um, traffic. And that works as long as people visit the, uh, our Slack website. Is it a website? What do you call it? Slack? Our Slack server channel? Slack channel? <laughs> what is the term? I don't know because like I keep saying Slack channel, but there are multiple channels yeah. on our Slack. So I just yeah. say Slack on Slack. our Slack. Yeah. But the problem is people don't necessarily know what Slack, what Slack is. is. Yeah, exactly. We should actually start by saying that. Um, so our community is currently a Slack. Slack is a chat service, basically. It's a cross between a chat room and a forum, say. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's five to 10 people who are around to respond to questions. When we do more like development type meetings, I actually go on Twitter and bug some people uh, in private messages and then they turn up. So it's also a matter of if you don't already use Slack, it's just making sure you have it open on your browser if that's what you want to keep on seeing what's going on in the community. My personal goal would be for there to, there always be somebody online when I am so that if I pop up and say, hey, how how are you guys doing? Because uh, we have a channel, which is basically the water cooler, where you'd go in a real office space to talk with colleagues. And so my goal would be for there to always there would always be someone with whom I could talk in the water cooler channel. And I'm assuming that means like around a hundred members, but it's a far away goal. It doesn't, uh, we're welcoming anybody who is, getting what they want out of the community. And also, I guess, as Marie mentioned before, it's all organic. It's basically people who are interested, right? We have no goal, I guess, at least not how I see it, to have, you know, like thousands and thousands and millions of subscribers who join in in order to, I don't know, advertise something to them eventually. But it's actually for people who are interested. Yeah, I mean, we should probably just uh, mention that it's not commercial. We're not asking for money. We just asking to share your experience, uh, you being an independent scholar and what your story is and what kind of experience you had and how you solved a problem on your own and then maybe somebody else can profit from that. That is our main goal. But I like uh, uh, Marie's uh, idea that there's always somebody to talk to, which is, uh, I didn't really think about that. I think uh, somebody else mentioned that the social aspect, which is missing ever since the uh, pandemic and the lockdown, that you don't have the chance to talk to people about your scholarly work because not everybody has the luxury of having a partner who's also in academia in the same field. So you wanna, sometimes you, you want, sometimes you need to talk to somebody else about your project because you need a different perspective, a different opinion. 
And this is something we can offer, the social aspect. It can be just purely about your research, but it can also be just in general how to cope with a life problem while you also have to write, uh, have to meet a deadline for something. So that is a very important aspect. And yeah, therefore the, the goal to have a lot of people, so many people that there's always somebody at the water cooler to say hi, back to you. It's a good goal. I like that. Another thing we should say about the community is it, it's very honest. We're, we're not yeah. here to self-promote. You don't mm -hmm. need to put on your best mm -hmm. side. You can talk about how crappy your week has been, mm -hmm. uh, and you'll find people being very supportive about that. Uh, you can talk about how frustrating it is that people don't recognize some of your skills. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it's a place where you can hopefully be yourself. Um, and talk about the struggles you're going through. And then when you have something to celebrate, yeah, just come tell us and we'll be super happy with you. We all basically come from the fields of book history, bibliography, digital humanities. And I was just wondering, are there independent scholars in the fields of like sciences? What do you think? Have you ever heard of these people or do they all have jobs? <laughs> well, it's more a matter of, access to the equipment you need to do the research. Um, so if you used to work in a biology lab, mm -hmm. um, unless you're uh, some sort of Renaissance man or woman who has a shed where you can put in all your lab equipment, you probably, you just cannot do research outside of the industry or academia. So there is that. So literary studies, is an area similar to book history in terms of what you need to do things. I just don't know how welcoming uh, the learned societies in literary studies are to independent scholars. I have found that book history conferences are really welcoming and they really don't care what sort of background you have, partly because it was a field that started outside of universities. Mm -hmm with booksellers, with publishers, with collectors. So I think that really makes it easier for independent scholars to function within book history. But obviously, if you're an independent scholar in any other field, we're probably going through the same sort of struggles. It's just I'm way more confident telling someone in book history, don't worry, you can totally keep on doing your research and you will be welcomed in conferences. So that was also one of the earliest points we had. Should we just be interested in independent scholars from within book studies or opening up? Um, how, how open are we? And it would be interesting, really, it would be interesting to hear from all sorts of independent scholars to see because yeah, there is a overlap of problems and challenges, but also advantages, And uh, but there may also be differences. And on some levels, we can help no matter which field we are in. And I just imagined myself being this Renaissance kind of person with a chat where I would have, I would think I would have a printing press, <laughs> like a smaller version of it probably, but like a printing press would mm -hmm. do just fine in order to discover more about us, what we offer, and how to join us, make sure to visit our website. It's independentscholars.hcommons, H-C-O-M-M-O-N-S dot org. There you can find all the emails and an explanation how to join our Slack community. We keep on mentioning the advantages of being an independent scholar and not naming them. 
<laughs> oh, right. Yes. Uh, the advantages. Let's advertise something. <laughs> it's not the most politically correct way of saying things, but you don't owe anything to anyone. You don't need to suck up to anyone because you're not looking for your next position. You're not looking for someone who would want to offer you a postdoc. Uh, you're not trying to make sure that anybody who would review your work would be badly disposed against you. So it doesn't mean you're being an asshole or anything like that. But it just means if you disagree with what someone's saying, you don't need to just like politely nod along and you can wander off to another table. You don't need to absolutely please certain individuals. You get, if you're nice, when you're not being, a, when you're not being an asshole, it's so easy to get feedback for whatever. I think, Marie, you read a proposal for a conference for me and you suggested something. Just, I had a job interview a few months ago and I was really a little bit worried about what kind of questions are being asked now because I didn't, I don't have much, much experience with job interviews. So I talked to several people from different uh, countries, different cultures, and they all gave me different uh, perspectives and ideas what to think about. And it turned out not that it helped and it didn't help. It didn't help because not, none of the questions they told me could come up came up. But I was so prepared that I was so confident that the interview went brilliantly. It was just, it was just really a great uh, situation for me because I felt so prepared. And that was just so easy to get that uh, feedback uh, that, yeah, from, from different people. That was uh, just a great example for that. So it had nothing to do with research at that point, but... That's one of the advantages of the community. But um, did you find it easier to ask for feedback as an independent scholar as opposed to when you were in academia or were you finding colleagues to give you feedback back then? Yeah, um, how should I put it? Within academia, there may be people who don't give you the best advice because you are in direct competition. And by just asking, I mean, obviously also, because most of them are book historians, there's also maybe an overlap of interest in a certain job. But I, I am in Europe and all of the other people, I think they are not really in Europe or don't have my profile. So that was really a problem. But that would be my, my answer right now. So the, I had easy access to different, uh, very different opinions and experience levels. And I got different kinds of feedback that was really helpful. And I guess I can also uh, share some experience. I think what was also super helpful for me besides just having a chat that is also unobtrusive. What I like, considering how many messages are coming in via other channels nowadays, I like Slack because it's very minimalistic and very mm -hmm. practical. Almost just, retro. <laughs> really? Maybe that's what does it. Yeah, true. Yeah. Also, just today, I discovered that there is a web version of it as well, which makes it even better. It means you can just open it on your laptop in your browser, check it out, close it and not get notifications, right? So this is great. That's not what I do. I do have it on my phone though. But I also found very helpful the Zoom meetings that we do every once in a while. This is a place where you just, first of all, actually get to know people you are in the community with. You can put a face to a 
voice and a name in a chat, basically. You can vent out if you feel like it. You can share something positive, as Marie has already mentioned, and just basically share your experiences and, and compare and get inspiration for some new projects, maybe even write something together. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's also one of the advantages of our community. Agreed. And you guys also have advantages to being an independent scholar because we've talked about the challenges of being mm -hmm. an independent mm -hmm. scholar. Mm -hmm. Like this is thinking ahead to later episodes that will get a bit more into what you could gain from going into independent scholarship. But I was just wondering if you had. Yeah, I could and, give one example. Uh, one advantage being an independent scholar is that you are not necessarily restricted to certain topics you have to uh, research because your institution demands it or because it's on vogue at the moment in academia and You know, for the longest time, I have told students never to uh, make your hobby your job. There's so many, so within book history, everything that has to do with books or reading, you always think in book history terms, like, wouldn't that be interesting? Nope, no, not doing that. Because it, it doesn't look as professional. It doesn't reflect, may not reflect well on the institution that you're working for. So you better step away. So, and then two weeks ago, I did a presentation on uh, the representation uh, of books in video games, something I wouldn't have done half a year ago. And I had fun uh, preparing it. I had fun having an excuse playing video games. And I had fun uh, putting my experience into an academic form. You can be more adventurous. There and were... the audience really liked it. Yeah. I, I hope so. I don't know. I just uh, I was just uh, staring at the camera because I wanted to be professional. Funny side story. While I was talking, I heard vibration all the time and I noticed, oh, where's my phone? And I couldn't find my phone, but it kept vibrating because people were tweeting about my talk. And how and how wouldn't that be interesting to have a special issue on uh, the representation of books in, in popular culture? So there was this huge thing. So for, I had my 50 minutes of uh, Twitter fame because they were talking about this uh, potential special issue of that. So I just heard my, my phone vibrating uh, somewhere in, in my apartment. So that was a little bit weird. So I was happy because people liked the idea of talking about, like finally somebody is talking about this in a, in a bigger concept, in a more, I mean, it wasn't unscholarly, but obviously it was a little bit more descriptive and more popular cultural references. But I think it's, that's a very important thing book history can do. And uh, luckily people agreed. Yeah. And as a testament to how open book historians are, like, People who, like myself, who don't play video games, found it fascinating. And Simon, you did a really good job of introducing us into, you weren't supposing we knew video games or mm -hmm. that particular game, and you really brought us in. And that's one of the things that's fun about book history, is you can never assume that people will know what you're talking about. Yeah. As opposed to like a Dickens conference where mm -hmm. everybody has read all of Dickens and you can just <laughs> name drop people. And so book history is constant discovery. So one thing uh, I discovered with Natalia was Bookstagram mm -hmm. and Booktube. I did not know those things existed. <laughs> so yeah, this is just a general pitch for book history. <laughs> Definitely. Actually, fun fact, after that talk about uh, that Simon presented, the one of us, is it the last of us? The, la sorry. the last of us. Yeah. I yeah, see football and video games. I'm just embarrassing myself here. But after that presentation, I, I was like talking to my boyfriend and I was like, hey, so there is this game, you know that because he 
plays video games, he knows video games. And I was like, well, I just listened to a conference talk about like representations of books in this particular. And then we had a conversation about representations of books in popular culture and in games, which for me is a totally like new field. I, I had no idea people have books there. <laughs> I mean, yes, I didn't. <laughs> so that's actually a great thing that you're open to a variety of also very contemporary topics. Just to sum up, like independent scholarship allows you to go off the beaten path because you're not concerned about your CV and how it will look on your CV. You're concerned about what will be fun to do. So then to round up, my uh, last piece of advice, I guess, to our listeners would be go on our website, check it out, see if you want to join and contact us. Also spread the word. Maybe you know somebody who's ambivalent about staying and being in academia, let them know about our community. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Marie. Thanks for having us, Natalia. Thank you, Simon. Thanks so much. It was fun. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye.